Hi there, this is Alvin, and welcome to the Kickstart Commerce Podcast, where we share search marketing and domain investing strategies to help grow your business. In today's episode, our guest is Tiffany Neighbors, the founder and chief creative officer of Winnasium, a performance marketing agency and talent advisory firm that helps tech companies brand, sell, and win in the health space. In addition, Tiffany is a motivational and public speaker, podcaster, author, and did I mention she's a domain investor and developer too? Today, Tiffany and I discuss how she started her journey as an addiction intern and then an addiction supervising counselor and how these roles led to her transition into the tech and healthcare industry as a sales professional. Tiffany then shares how she honed communication and relationship building skills through a mentorship that opened the door to becoming a motivational and public speaker focused on branding, selling, and winning. We then pivot to discover how Tiffany naively transitioned from domain enthusiast to domain developer of shopology.com. We then discuss how Tiffany discovered the expansive universe of domain investing via Clubhouse's creator economy while chatting about digital real estate. And last but not least, we chat about how Tiffany secured her name and .co, why she gifts domains, and finally, her latest book entitled The Unicorn Dreamer. So with that, Tiffany, welcome, and thank you for making time to join us today. Thank you for having me, Alvin. I'm extremely excited to be here and actually get to connect with you almost live. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. We've been uh, playing a bit of cat-mouse game. Uh, yeah. Little did I realize, looking back at our LinkedIn thread, almost like two years. Yeah, yeah, it's been it's been quite a while, but I think, you know, via Clubhouse, it's, it's kind of... Uh, brought everything full circle, which I think is is a pretty cool thing. And I'm, I really appreciate the opportunity and, and I love your podcast. So I feel honored to be <laughs> a part of this amazing content that you create. I think the first podcast um, that caught my attention from you was the one with Peter Askew. And I just, I was kind of hooked after that. <laughs> yeah, the onion guy. The yeah. onion guy. <laughs> It's an amazing story. <laughs> yeah. So what Tiffany is referencing is the show about Peter Askew, um, which he is uh, the, I guess, the owner and operator or rather partner of Vidalia Onions, which who knew you can make six, six figures selling onions? This guy's doing it and uh, doing it well at that. Yes. So, yeah. Yes. So, System. so to kick things off, Tiffany, so briefly share at a high level with our listeners just a bit about yourself, who you are at a personal, professional background? Yeah, so um, Tiffany Neighbors, I am first and foremost, a wife and a mother. <laughs> Secondly, I am a ex-corporate executive, if you will, sales executive. I spent about 20 years in the technology space on the tech services side. So I um, you know, led a lot of accounts for different tech services companies in the federal health space. And after about 20 years, I had took a leap of faith and I decided to take some of my uh, crazy ideas and, and band them together and, and form a business. So I launched, launched it safely um, and I formed a consulting firm that really addressed some gaps in the market that I was serving. Um, and, and those gaps were around three areas, branding, selling and winning or helping companies to do those things better. So I kind of um, created some niche offerings and that's what I've spent probably the last four years with some some drops during COVID <laughs> for sanity's <laughs> sake. And, and this year, um, I've really just kind of doubled down on, on what I love the most, which is the branding and the digital side, which is really where my domaining gets to be put into play the most. Interesting. I, the only thing I heard was 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, but you don't look past 20. <laughs> You're so nice. Now I really like you. <laughs> I'm like, wait, wait, hold on. She said she's a wife, a mom, and worked in corporate for 20 years. I'm like, so maybe I yeah. misheard her. Yeah, 20 hard years. Oh, 20 <laughs> hard years. Well, yeah. we can't tell it. We cannot tell Thank it. I wish you. the listeners could see uh, you. So, so yeah, so that's interesting then. So corporate life, like, I guess, let's see, even take a step back, like growing up. I mean, did you envision yourself going into corporate? 
You know, I I did. Um, I think secretly I always admired entrepreneurs, right? I had a family full of entrepreneurs, people around me that were entrepreneurs. I had an uncle who owned a convenience store, what I called a candy store. I had a great uncle who owned a hotel and then a motel. My father had a chemical, he had a little side chemical business where he made a lot of hair products. And I just, I experienced a lot of entrepreneurship um, around me. And so I always envisioned going into corporate on a business side, Mm. Um, but I was always torn because I'm a lifelong learner. I have a lot of interest um, and it was hard to choose just one thing. And I think business allows you to tap into a, a lot of different areas because businesses support so many verticals. They support so many kinds of niche audiences, as if you will. And so, um, yeah, as a kid, I, I always knew I wanted to do something business or entrepreneurially. Interesting. And then I guess that led to college or. Yeah. So college is a funny is a funny okay. story. So I, I naturally like I, I, naively, I didn't know until high school that people didn't go to college. That's as crazy <laughs> as that sounds. Right. Like. I didn't know that. And so um, I, I naturally thought I, I had to go to college. So I, I ended up, um, I wanted to go into business and I ended up graduating from high school. Um, my junior year, I made a decision that I wanted to graduate a year early and I was set up curriculum wise to do so. So I graduated a year early and I wanted to kind of take what we would call today a gap year mm. and get a trade so that I could use that trade to kind of build a business that would finance me through college. That didn't happen because my parents were like, you can graduate early, but you're not taking a year off. And so with that, I kind of reset, you know, kind of my vision. I don't know why, of what I wanted to do. I pivoted from business and went into a helping profession, which was psychology. And that's where I got my degree. It's actually in psychology. And I I got my MBA in business uh, in 2012, but yeah, that was like almost so many years later. <laughs> and so how did you make that jump from college into the corporate world? So I'll tell you, it's it's a couple of things. Uh, one is networking. I was very fortunate um, to have some folks that opened doors for me. Mm-hmm. And um, of course, I, I definitely applied and I worked a lot. I worked through high school. I had a babysitting business in middle school and then I had just regular part-time jobs throughout high school and throughout college. Um, but when it was time to enter the business, the um, working world after college, when you have a bachelor's and a behavioral science, it's very <laughs> hard to enter or secure a, a decent job um, without another level, graduate level education. Of course, I wanted to get my my doctorate and you know the graduate level education, but I also wanted to to get some field experience. And so my mom happened to have a relationship with uh, someone that ran a research program and they needed addiction counselors and they gave me a chance. So I started off in an internship role and um, I moved up and to an addiction role, addiction counseling role after about six months. And then um, eventually I got to be the supervising counselor and then I went to grad school. That is just <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah, it's different, <laughs> but it was great experience. It, it was actually experienced. It was a research-based addiction counseling center that was funded by American University. And at that time we had an epidemic with opioids, opioid use, but it was around heroin specifically. And so this was in 1994. So we had an epidemic with heroin usage, but it was really relegated to inner city populations. Mm -hmm. And so the research program was looking at how to improve the outcomes with specific treatment modalities. And this program had the highest success rate. Their program and the way that they chose to package their their intervention or their model of treatment ended up being the most successful in the country. And so I was able to learn a lot from them, but they even became rewarded for that by by privatizing. And I was able to go with that new private organization. But um, today, fast forward decades, right? And that is a issue today, but it's more of a suburban issue. And it also is something that plays into the healthcare piece that I ended up being in for, for so long. I naturally gravitated 
to the healthcare market because it was what I understood when I made a transition into tech. That's wild. From addiction into healthcare. Yeah. Yeah. And I had no idea anything about addictions and how that stuff all worked, but I definitely understood the psychology and the people part of things. But more importantly, at that time, the core function of the role was around case management. So, you know, as a new student coming out, being very structured, regimented, you know, very academic in in terms of how you approach things, it was the perfect job for someone like me. Like I just basically had to follow a treatment plan and document it. Yeah. And then host group sessions um, and make sure that people got the resourcing that they need and help to design what those um, resources look like. That is awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. And so then jumping into the healthcare arena, like I guess I guess kind of walk us through there because you spent you spent some time there as well. Yes, I spent a lot of time. So I actually got into the healthcare space from a technology perspective in 1999. So I joined Oracle. Um, I was an inside sales rep. And eventually I moved into the outside um, field, but I started off in an account that was very underdeveloped. It was um, in the military health area. And what happened is that um, at that time, the organization, we were moving from a technology perspective from just being a database industry or a data, Oracle was leaving just being a core database and core technology company and moving more into what we called enterprise Um, resource planning applications, if you will. So enterprise applications. And this one agency, I had all the DOD accounts, but this one particular part of the DOD account was focused on health. And they had this HR system and they had multiple HR systems, one for each service, the Army, the Navy, and the Air Force. And they were looking at consolidation. So the whole DOD was moving towards this consolidation, just like the story is the same as it is today, believe it or not. They've got all these disparate, you know, separate organizations and they want to just centralize and create a master system. And, you know, that's the story. And so at that time, it was around the human resources. I happen to have, I happen to understand that, um, that part of the business, I understood how it worked in a healthcare system. And I was able to have a conversation with the functional, the people who were actually not just the technology folks, but the functional people. I understood how to have the conversations with them. I didn't understand technology yet because I was very new, so I could talk to the people side of the business. And that's what allowed me to really build some level of rapport. And it allowed me to open up the conversation for my company. And that eventually led us to mature that opportunity and, and close the deal. We got about a $19 million deal out of that after 18 months. The sales cycle was long, but that's what we did. That's awesome. I can teach you many things in life. I can teach you tech, but oftentimes the soft skills, you either have it or you don't. Not to say that yes. you can't necessarily learn uh, certain things, but it you know you, you can just see the difference in someone that has a gifting for relationship building and influencing and so it seems like that 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 gift is is definitely alive and well within your uh tool set and ability thank you yeah you know it's funny because when i started in sales i actually the gentleman who got me into sales was um very he had had a profession a um, career already at a company called xerox which we kind of (laughs) know some people would know some people um know it well others know it you know as a dying brand. But basically at that time, they were like an industry standard for sales and for just everything that really was tackled around business excellence. And they were an industry leader. And he um, really encouraged me to break into sales. And I didn't understand sales as a profession. And it was never anything that was necessarily sold to me beyond the conversations that I had with him. But I did always have a tremendous amount of respect for his relationship skills, his communication skills. And then just to your point, the way that he treated people. And of course, he was very successful, but I success for me is measured differently. And I, I look at success and how we manage the relationships around us. Um, and so he actually had conversations with me multiple 
multiple times that we saw each other. And then one day I decided that it was probably time to, to listen a little closely, you know, a little bit more closely because he had moved from Xerox to Oracle and he opened that door for me and several people. And I always looked at that as well, right? That, that kind of reaching back and mentoring and all of those things. And so, um, yeah, so I learned those skills and the value of that from him very early on in my career and I nurtured it. So then let me ask you this. So go from addiction yeah. to healthcare yeah. to tech to being a motivational speaker <laughs> into domain investing. Like yeah. help me make sense of all of this. I mean, you know what I want to say, but I'll keep it to business because I think it's higher and bigger than me, right? So I do. I do think that, you know, pivoting has been something that I think is an area that I've just been able, I've been, I've been shown favor, right? And so I, I definitely think it is the, the networking and the door opening. I, I make no qualms about that. It's, you know, it's, people granting you access, but I also think it's about performance. And I think that everywhere that I go, I try my best to create value and to do the best that I can. And I think that as long as you show a level of progression, as long as you take a genuine interest in people, the role that you're doing, and you try to live through a level of excellence, things become a little bit easier. And so every job that I've had came from someone that I knew. Every job that I've had in tech came from someone that I worked with prior to that role, with maybe one exception. And I think that one exception was when I went to Forrester Research for market research, and I was just really looking to get a bird's eye view of the market. So I kind of took a step back. And instead of kind of looking at opportunities that were presented, I looked for an opportunity that made sense for my career. I really wanted to look at the market as a whole, because at that time we were kind of moving into Web 2.0. And they were the, you know, the bird's eye, the researchers, the market industry experts. And so I spent some time in that organization and just to kind of get a pulse on where the market was going and what to do next. That is awesome. And we actually have a a bit of, I guess you'd say shared history to a certain extent. It's almost like we've ventured down the same path. Um, I spent roughly 20 years in corporate doing a number of software engineering development roles, uh, from being an individual contributor all the way up to um, an actual manager, up to vice president of operations. And so that being said, it's it's interesting to hear you mention that, you know, you got most of your roles through relationship uh, because that's how it's been for me. Um, I can't tell you the last time that I even put together a resume. It's been a matter of making people, other people successful. Um, and in that, you know, you you never know who you're going to work with, whether you start at the bottom and, and you consider yourselves peons, if you will. But you never know who you're going to work with and you never know where they're going to go. Yeah. Uh, but what what is known is that if you make someone successful, they always remember that and they'll remember you. Uh, along stops along the way to where they look and go, I know exactly who can solve this this challenge, this issue, yes. uh, whether it's relational, whether it's uh, product based, no matter what the situation is, people just remember that. And that's a bit of uh, I can see the similarities there, you know, within our story. And so, well, tell me a little bit about the whole motivational speaker. Oh my goodness. So that's totally taken me out of my comfort zone. So I'm an introvert, right? So how I survived sales for 20 years, I don't know because it's just a crazy story. But I I was telling someone just yesterday that I do believe that introverts like one-on-one conversations, right? And so I love that. And And technology is such an intellectually stimulating and driven business. And so to have really strong conversations, a lot of times one-on-one, you know, you definitely have group um, discussions and presentations, but for the most part, you're engaging in subject matter expert-based conversations. And so it takes away that, it makes it easier for an introvert to survive, right? But the public speaking thing totally came about from podcasting. Who knew, right? So as a part of my pivot from corporate into owning my own business, I felt like branding was very important because I felt that, and and it wasn't just what I felt, it was what I had studied and read. I read that 
um, you know, if you don't tell your story, someone else will. Right. And so I had to create I wanted to create a business that really aligned to one, the pains and needs of the market, but also kind of led with what the business was about. And so there were a couple of ways that I thought I could do it was obviously to have a company with a brand name that was you know, representative, a brandable domain, if you will, that was representative of, you know, the bigger vision, which is all about helping people win. So my company's name is Winnasium. So it's a combination of the word winning, which is what I love to do, study high performing and winning, and gymnasium, which in the Greek times was a place of learning for competitive sports and games. So I combined the two. And you see this in other places, mathnasium, you know, other uh, it's been done before in some ways, maybe not with the same, you know, or two different or bringing two different things together. But that was my thing. But then also the podcast. So I decided to do a podcast as a way to help people that I would engage with learn from high performers. So I started a podcast that was all about high performing people in sports and business and sales um, primarily. And when I did this, and it was really around the function of health, the health function, um, health industry. And when I did this, I um, researched, I started off by researching um, what it takes to win, right? And that led me to a lot of references, obviously, around sports. And so I started to say, okay, well, let me look at the top performing athletes and what makes them successful. And what I found is that behind every high performing exceptionally high performing athlete, there was a performance or mindset coach. And that led me to <laughs> the company that I ended up becoming a public speaker with. And that's um, Limitless Minds. And the one of the co-founders is um, NFL quarterback, Russell Wilson, and his performance coach, his brother, and then a really amazing guy named DJ, who is um, also an ex-sales rep, in the health space. So DJ and Harrison are, are also similar. And they launched this company in the same time that I did. And I had them on my podcast. And from there, we just kind of remained connected. And we talked, you know, a lot about how we were both building our businesses in complementary, but kind of similar um, areas of focus. And I invited them on my podcast. That was the initial outreach. I really wanted to get um their company on the podcast because what they were doing was so critical to my brand. And um, they came on and then they invited me on their podcast and I um, was able to do that. And then they built out a whole team of public speakers and coaches to go into organizations that were focused on performance. And they invited me to be a part of that. If that doesn't spell out relationship, I don't know <laughs> what does. Like, you can't make that up. <laughs> just cannot make that up. And then not only that, I mean, it's just a it's like they were natural pivots. And it, it's just so interesting. It's like it, it's almost it gives me that the vision that I see of you is as one assignment is coming to an end, you might not know your next one. But just as that ends, you pivot right into the next thing. It feels that way. It feels that way. And so much so it's funny you would you would hone in on pivots because, you know, we talked a, a little bit before the um, show started about, you know, just kind of different things. And one of those things is on Clubhouse. I actually have a club called Career Pivots, right? It's Career Pivots. And I did that because I thought on that platform, it's all about giving back and it's all about, you know, sharing things where you can help others. And the thing that I, when I came, started with Clubhouse, I really went in trying to help others get into tech. And what I found is that people, it was a struggle. And I was like, wow, I didn't know that this was so difficult for certain groups to break <laughs> into technology. And I was like, pivoting is something that I think I figured out. So let me start a club helping people with their career pivots, right? And how to go around branding and, and positioning and, and connecting and networking. So that's what I did. And so when you mentioned pivots, that that is something that I feel like, okay, if there's one thing that I have done enough times that I feel like I can help someone else, it, it's in that area. Now, that's interesting. Now, and speaking of pivoting, you know, pivoting towards domains, 
Like what? So, I mean, do you really consider yourself, I guess, a part-time domain investor, full-fledged domain investor? Like what do you consider yourself? So I actually started off as what I would call an enthusiast, right? So really a domain enthusiast. I purchased my first domain in 2003 or five, somewhere around there. And it was Shopology. And it was a domain that I got because I, um, you know, I was just starting to see and learn how the technology space and I, I love shopping. And so I was like, how do I, I saw this, you know, working for a database company. I was like, we need a database of boutiques. How do we find all these really cool boutiques? I was like, I want, and so I just kind of created a database of boutiques, but I needed a name for it. And so I was like, shopping analogy, here we go again, right? Like combining two things. And so <laughs> can't be simple, but so I was like, uh, okay, so how do I get that domain name? I knew nothing about domain names, even though I was in the tech space. I don't even know how I figured it out because it's all a mystery now. We didn't Google things the way that we do today. It wasn't all available. I mean, it was out there. Search was there, but it was different. So somehow or another, I figured out how to identify who owned the domain. And at that time, the guy, he probably robbed me. I think I overpaid for the domain, but I was working in tech and I was young and, you know, it worked itself out. Um, and so I, at that time, the who is was open. So I could actually identify who this person was. Again, I didn't know that you needed an agent usually to, to do this on your behalf. So I did it on my behalf. I tracked the guy down. <laughs> I convinced him to let me um, buy it. And he named a price. And I didn't know that I probably should have negotiated. And I, you know, I just bought it. <laughs> so, it started off very naively and I just wanted it. I got it. I just wanted to build my brand and my product and everything. And that's where I started. And then after that, I, I always had a lot of ideas and a lot of my ideas manifested as business ideas. Right. And so that really became just me obsessively buying domains. So I, I bought domains from that point forward. I would have an idea or see a niche of something that I liked and one day wanted to build out a newsletter or a business or a website. And I just kept buying and parking these domains. And it wasn't until, honestly, that I got... I always knew that I was in... I learned, you know, I studied it and I knew the, about the different ways of the, the different ways that domains were, the business was organized and, you know, the brandables was always my sweet spot. That's what I really am passionate about. And because I can also see how it played out even in, in the corporate world, you know, and how we could use those names to differentiate. So I continued to build. And then when I was going out on my own, I started to say, well, what can I do with this portfolio? And I looked at the portfolio and it was kind of split into different categories. It was health stuff, the stuff that I had lived. It was kind of pop culture, like fashion-y stuff. And then it was more lifestyle stuff for moms. And so I realized, you know what? I should basically take these domains and do similar concept to what was already out there, build a, you know, a, a marketplace for my brandables. So I just put a face, which you can see behind me on the wall, put a face through logos on all of my, on a, several of my domains. And so I just thought, okay, now I need to get serious about this. What do I want to do? And so that kind of spawned me away from just being an enthusiast to being more of someone who wanted to be a domain developer. So although I developed one domain, I wanted to now say, okay, they'll, all of these domains have life. They were all, you know, purchased with a vision. And so that's kind of where I've been led. And so that's what's next. Now, did you know that there was an industry per se out there like dnjournal.com, Rick Schwartz, Frank Schilling? Did you know that any of that existed? I will tell you, I knew that there were conferences. I knew that there were people who bought and sold domains for a living. I did not know the extent of, I didn't know the history. So the folks that you just mentioned, I learned, believe it or not, I learned about most of them on Clubhouse. When I got on Clubhouse, there was a guy who posed a question that said, is digital real estate a thing? And I go, 
oh my God, he's thinking about the same thing I'm thinking about. And so I don't, you know, I don't know. I didn't know how to connect with people because the app was new, but I was like, somehow or another, I connected with the guy and we, he invited me on his stage. And the next thing I know, we we started having these conversations. He pulls in Ryan Colby and then the whole thing just opened up. And then I was like, you know, you guys, they have this thing called Dot Club. And it was, you know, that's when Dot Club was becoming like kind of popular. And then that spawned a whole nother, you know, frenzy on the app. And so as that became, as that frenzy played out, all of these recognizable folks started to come about, right? I always listened to Domain Sherpa, um, that podcast. So I knew certain things, but it was just more casual. It wasn't what it is now. And so I felt like Clubhouse for me was divine and it kind of allowed me to leap into this space. And oddly, I had already written a book on my all of my quote unquote ideas. And I didn't realize the connection to domaining, believe it or not, even though I had domains in the glossary of the book, the you know, the terms, I did not make the connection until I met the commute the domaining community to the extent that I did on Clubhouse. You were in a somewhat of a vacuum mm -hmm. just the whole time mm -hmm. of you were doing your thing, you're buying domains, you're developing uh, domains, but really th there was just this whole universe, if you will, that was out there that you just didn't know about until as of late, probably within the last year, I imagine. And I knew about NamesCon and I kept saying, you know, once I get out of industry, I'll go to NamesCon. And the first one I went to was the virtual one. So I just never, I mean, I always prioritize my industry conferences for the health tech world. I've gone to Saster. I've gone to so many industry conferences on the tech side, but never domaining. I've never taken, um, you know, the courses that are out there. And so now I'm doing all those things, but I think it's all about timing. I don't know that I would have known what to do with it back then. It now completely makes sense for my business. Wow. So then do you see like yourself as an investor or a developer? I know you said developer, a developer. before. Yeah, but... a developer. Gotcha. Yeah. So I invest to develop. So when I see the guy, so I'm not a flipper. I don't buy with the intention of selling. But if I buy something and I do pick up things that I think have value and I and I hold them because I think that I can sell them. But my goal more often than not, 90 percent is to build what I have. And a lot of it, a lot of the names are connected to. So, for example, I have Shopology, but I also have Shop Boutiques because Shopology is a directory of boutiques, and Shop Boutiques is another name, a domain that I own. And Eyelash Boutiques is kind of a replica of you know. So it's kind of like these different pockets. And so my my goal is to build, and then I have a lot of health related domains and so those are designed to be supportive in my consulting business on the on the other side of things so then how many domains do you own i don't have thousands but i have hundreds so <laughs> i'm not yeah. like the superstars there because i'm i'm not looking for volume i am very very concentrated on specific areas and specific visions gotcha quality quality then mm -hmm. is your is your is your key metric there mm -hmm. um and, and so then so not hundred or rather you said not thousands and i say yet <laughs> that's <laughs> um, a lot to manage you know <laughs> well i mean i have uh roughly i think i did 2584 names good gracious what in the world yeah when did you start so i started in 2000 uh the latter part of 2012 really uh-huh yep i i had i was doing software development and had roughly about 125 names and some of those were like defunct products uh or they were marketing campaigns that companies didn't want anymore and they're like we're not doing that campaign anymore you go figure it out we don't care what you do with it and lo and behold i received a uh inquiry one day for a given domain and it was $500. My total cost into it was $30. I was like sold. And then for whatever the reason, like 30 days later, I went to look that domain up 
and stumbled upon DN Journal and figured out that it had been sold for five thousand dollars, and my jaw dropped. Yeah, Yeah, I understand. I was like, (laughs) OMG! And then from DN Journal, it was a whole new world, and uh, you know, I've not looked back. And so, there's a part of of our portfolio, my wife and I, um, that we're keeping for our three kids. So I don't care if you come to me and say, Alvin, I'll give you a million dollars for it. It's not happening. It's yes. going to uh, transfer to them and yes. hopefully they do something with it. Yes. Then there's, uh, we have roughly, well, as of now, 18 sites developed. Um, and I develop probably two to three sites a year. And most of those are hyper uh, niche sites. And so, you know, think in terms of a lot of times they're probably going to only be about 100 to 200 visitors a day, but uh, monetized based around Amazon affiliate or Google AdSense or even strike up, um, you know, peer to peer advertising. So it, it. it just all depends, but I have my hands in many different things as well as doing and a daily um, expired domain auction listing. So I, when, when you say investor, developer, you know, monetizer, like I fit kind of all Every those things. So, but yeah. I don't, I don't really spend too much time, you know, doing auctions or any of that stuff anymore, but I, I also have a tool that does it for me. So that's kind of one of the reasons that I don't, necessarily have to do that from a manual standpoint um it's all scripted so it, it it knows how to think like me if you will and go out and purchase domains but enough about me and more about you um, no, i love what domains. you said because i do think that that's one of the beauties of the domaining business is all the tools that are out there to help you know kind i don't want to say like in some ways they have a lot of artificial intelligence baked into some of this stuff to kind of help you right do the searching and the broker like all these things easier and i think that that you know that makes things a lot it makes it easier to run a very lean operation in this space no matter what it is right and so but i do believe in i i do admire people like you who have a range right across because it's you can leave a lot on the table when you're not doing it that way but um and and i definitely see a lot in the um the selling of the domains be in the marketing of them there is like a little bit of an itch there but i i have very limited capacity so i um i have to do what i do in the way that i do peter asks you one of your your podcast believe it or not was one that i was like that's that's what I've been really trying to do with my domains. And when you interviewed him and you created the space, right, to share his business, his story was, it just hit home. And so that's where I kind of decided that's, that's the lane. And, but I do, I do enjoy the industry, the training piece a lot. I really love the schools and all, and the tools, like those things really fascinate me from a perspective of our business domaining industry. So Clubhouse, like how did that change your perspective of the domain industry? Uh, And because obviously it all it changed many things for everyone. But yours personally, getting involved on Clubhouse and then coming to know the domain industry, uh, I guess, have you participated in any of the auctions that have have been happening? Yeah, I did. I participated in a few and I realized that again, I like the development side of the house. So I definitely, you know, that for once, I, I kind of just like to do this one thing over here. Um, but so I definitely participated and I learn a lot. What I love about Clubhouse is the variety um, and the way that you can learn so much about the industry, the niches, and how people carve out their their space, right? And their particular business areas of focus and naming um, the extensions. I knew a lot about the extensions just from reading before. So I definitely um, appreciate that. I love the collaboration. The tools were a big, big deal. So from a clubhouse perspective, I really enjoyed learning and expanding my network and my understanding of the domain business 
But what I really, really, really got out of Clubhouse the most from the domain community is its connection to the creator economy and the impact that it's going to have and can have going forward. Whereas before it was kind of a quiet behind the scenes, in my opinion, market. For some reason, Clubhouse opened the gates in my mind and it took a fairly quiet industry and it just did something different. And um, what it did, though, is it really, to me, is it empowered creators, which is where I see the dominant population on, on Clubhouse, which is, I think, you know, just a platform for the creator economy. It really opened, it really connected that whole piece, that whole asset um, grouping to them. It allowed them to think differently about um, how it all comes together. And, you know, as we start to see all these other tentacles play out with the other things I won't elaborate on too much, but there, you know, there's a lot of things that it's almost become more of a coming together and empowering thing for creators. And that, that gets me excited. And um, it's kind of something that I, I, I want to do more of in the future with, with that population. Yeah. One thing that I've seen or experienced with Clubhouse from a industry standpoint has really been the diversity of just all the new players or folks that uh, have been domain investing. Because like I I didn't know, you know, anything. Obviously, you probably didn't know I existed outside of the show. I didn't know you existed, but here it is. You've been buying domains for quite some time. I've been buying domains and all because of one simple platform. Here it is a whole new slew of people um, of all walks, lives and creeds are now within the proximity of a phone. If you have an iPhone or iOS device that, you know, you have voice access or internet access that gets you voice access. Now you can literally have a conversation with Tiffany and prior to that, I'd probably say it would have been hard to probably have a conversation with you outside of if you weren't already connected in on LinkedIn or connected through some other relationship, but it would have been near impossible. And so, like, what has that been like for you in terms of just the diversity and the 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 various players and people and gender, sex, everything. Yeah. Uh, No, it's very interesting question. And and it's funny that you, you kind of hone in on that because that is an, it's something that I I actually told my husband, I said, I found my tribe. I went on clubhouse and I found my tribe. It's these people that do this thing that I've been doing. I didn't know they were out there in the masses. Right. And then I think what clubhouse and the opening of our community and the domaining space really did is to me, it allowed me to close a gap, right? So I've been doing this for two, since 2003. I think through all of the access to the experts and the connecting with these groups of people and building these new relationships, not only have I expanded and accelerated my network in the domaining space, but I feel like I've closed or accelerated knowledge about the business and the industry in a matter of what, three months? What is it? Four months? I don't know. It hasn't been that long, right? Uh, maybe it's six months. But the point is that I think that it's basically created lots of hubs. So I've, I'm now a part of women in domaining that I never, ever was a part of. I didn't even know other female domainers out there. You know, it was always a guy thing, right? And, you know, quite frankly, there are now, you know, lots of people that are culturally connected, right? So you have folks that are focused on, you know, black culture and black domaining topics and things that in the marketing world, you kind of look at them as specific niches. So kind of those kind of things. So those people are coming together. And so I I definitely think, you know, you have your brandable community coming together, right? You have a lot of these folks that sell and that, you know, that are the investors that want to come together and buy something and build something together. I've seen the environmental people come together. And so I think it's been incredible, but it's been so quick that it's almost dizzying. Right. And so I, I think to your, to your point, I think that it's opened up and accelerated networking within the industry It's brought together almost, you know, like these mini communities, right, of um, shared interest, communities of interest, if you will, 
within the community, but I think it's also created and exposed a lot of people that didn't know. I think there was, you know, in the very beginning when the digital real estate conversation started, there were tons of people that wanted to take classes that just were not, they didn't know about it. And so I think it's really opened up some some new um, exposure for a lot of folks that were in the creator space and that were just even in the real estate space that now see the parallels to between digital real estate and, you know, traditional real estate. Now, one of the things that is most interesting to me about this and you somewhat mentioned it and I kind of stumbled up on your profile there on Clubhouse. You know, everybody has domains, everything listed, uh, descriptions, bios, all this one. And one of the things that I found most interesting, and I don't know if it was in your profile or I stumbled across it through uh, LinkedIn, but it was the fact that you actually own your own name dot co. Yeah. And I was like, how in the world did you wind up with that? And how long have you had it? So I don't, so I've always had my .com for my first and last name, but I was actually inspired by someone on Clubhouse. It was the very first time that I made the connection on Clubhouse to personal branding um, for domaining. So that was not a category of focus for me prior to Clubhouse. There was a gentleman on the app and I think he was Sean.co maybe. And when I saw that, I go, that's interesting. And of course I I clicked on it. And instead of him having his name as a profile name, he literally used his alias. So he didn't have his first and last name. He just used Sean.co. And that was, I mean, that was before all of the, you know, frenzy started. And so I remember looking at that and then that took me down a path. And so I may have purchased it then if I didn't have it prior, because I wasn't a .co person. As, and I don't mean that in like a little, you know, only investing in one <laughs> extension, but I, I did. I was traditionally a .com, .ai, and .io person with an occasional, you know, ex- extensions around the .com, like buying those extras. But I was never a .co person until I saw it do play out that way. And it made sense for my name because of Tiffany and Company, the store. So Tiffany.co was a nice play for me in my mind. I know there probably has to be a story behind the spelling of your name. Yeah. Or is there? So the name, my mom um, went to New York. And the story that she tells us, she went to New York for the first time. And she, um, it was before I was born. And she went to the jewelry store, Tiffany and Company, and she fell in love with it. And she says, if I ever have a daughter, I want to name her Tiffany. How she changed the Y to two E's, I don't know to this day. But that's the story. And and you've been spelling your entire life that way. Oh my goodness! Oh yeah. my goodness! And it, and it probably, I mean, it is probably one of those things. People, I guess, they email you, and either if they're not thinking, yeah, then yeah. It, it's that it's that whole slip. Oh yeah, double E. Not, it's I'm always it, there's always the two E's, um, not a Y conversation and then there's always the only one in it's not two ends because <laughs> folks are like well if you got two f's and you got two e's why not have two ends right like so <laughs> the other piece there but you know what in in hindsight right like if it was with the y i probably couldn't do tiffany.co because it would conflict trademark wise with tiffany and company but who yeah. the heck would confuse tiffany with two e's with tiffany and and company, right? So um, exactly. it's similar enough, right? Yeah. <laughs> but it's also the beauty and the uniqueness of that you get to actually own your name because there are a lot of folks that, you know, can't. can't. Matter of fact, I was just um, gifted Alvin.gg. Nice. About a week and a half ago. So one of the listeners, longtime listener, um, or rather not a long-time listener, but he became a listener within the last year and he's followed me and he's like, man, your podcasts have helped me and sent me an email and said, Hey, I want to gift you Alvin.gg. Yes. And I'm like, and that's, great. That's the beauty of clubhouse, right? So I did that when we had dot club. And when I had, I put together a couple of um, rooms on the, on the app, my guest, I, I gifted them domain names and their names, especially for those folks that aren't in the industry and may, maybe don't realize it. I encourage everyone around me to obviously 
by their kids' names, right? But more importantly, on the app, I purchased a ton of domain names for other people and gave them away because I think that it's a nice gesture, but it also tells people a little bit about the significance, I think, of where the market's going. Um, and it helps them, if they preserve it, to start to think of differently about how they're creating their digital footprint and how they're designing their own personal brand online to drive their success. So a lot of the folks that I know that are entrepreneurs or that have their own podcast, um, that's those are the folks that I chose to to purchase for and gift them their domains. But I learned that from Clubhouse. <laughs> one of the things though, you know, wrapping up here, one of the things that I really want to get into and really want to understand is a bit about this unicorn and, and what's up with this unicorn and dreaming. The unicorn yeah. dreamer, I think is the book's name, right? Yeah. So it, it was a strange thing. And I won't say strange. I, I now recognize, you know, again, from the Clubhouse experience that it was it wasn't as random as it felt in the moment. So in the moment, I literally had a dream and I woke up in the middle of the night and it was just this story that I had seen in my in my dream and it played out. And my father always told me because I had so many quote unquote ideas to write them down. Sometimes I would write them down. Other times I would hope that I would remember, you know, at some point and write it down. Well, in this instance, something in my spirit said, write these words down. So I literally woke up and started writing down the dream. And I went back to sleep and then I woke up in the morning and a little bit more came to me. And the next thing I knew, I was like, this is a book. I'm supposed to be writing a book. And the whole like next three to four months, I just doubled down and put this little short story together. And all of a sudden it started coming to me how to visualize it. So I did some, I figured out how to do some outreach and ended up with some folks in Romania and Ukraine and stuff. And they started to design the the illustrations for me. And what happened is it ended up being a book that really takes all of the domains and the ideas and how they kind of came to be a part of my world. And I put them in a book. And um, as I reflected and went through the writing process, I really felt like I was being called to help young people to learn about domaining, but also to give them permission to be dreamers. Because, you know, growing, you know, working in a, a very structured community as an, a corporate setting, as an entrepreneur and an idea person, I often felt trapped. I felt like my ideas were trapped and they weren't what we allow creators to be today, which is kind of free with their ideas. And so I think that my book kind of is designed to show people an example of what happens when you dream or allow yourself to dream and what dreaming can look like. This character in the book dreams in this way. She dreams in domain names, right? But in, you know, real life, you may dream in your own way, but whatever you do, dream. And so it then kind of walks through, you know, just what that dreaming experience has been like, that journey of dreaming has been like. So how long did it take you to do this book? So it came to me, I think it was March or April, and I finished and published by September. So it was really short. It was like a summer. I remember the whole summer being consumed by it. And I actually published in September. Wow. And where can people download or buy it at? So it's on, it's everywhere. It's Amazon, Barnes and Noble. It's on Book Baby. If you go to theunicorndreamer.com, the domain. <laughs> um, yeah, go imagine that. <laughs> um, that's where you can actually buy it, but it's on Amazon. I think that's the easiest place to get it. And, and no more books? I do want to write more um, variations of this one book because I, I do believe that it's a, I've been using it for public speaking. So I do public speaking with Limitless Minds, but then I also do my own public speaking related to the book. I go out to elementary schools, but more so high schools. And I've been um, doing things with um, universities, teaching teachers of literature, how to tell this story to empower um, young authors. But for the most part, it's really about the creators and helping them. So a Spanish version, a faith-based version um, are two uh, versions that are coming out. And and no more no more animal books of any any sort. No no rhino books, no, no. elephant books. No mermaids, nothing. No mermaids. Oh my gosh. 
She's like, no, no, no. Uh, done with the unicorns. But really, it's also designed to teach kids that a unicorn isn't an animal. It's a billion dollar corporation. A corporation ah, with a valuation of a billion dollars or more. So there's a glossary in the back. So it's designed to get the attention of young readers because there was a unicorn frenzy at the time, I think, that was really probably consumed in my mind as a mom. And really, for me, as a business thinking person, a unicorn is someone who dreams big and they dream about business ideas that can become something significant. I've got the next animal for you. <laughs> a narwhal. Oh, my goodness. There we go. <laughs> no, cousin, cousin, cousin to the unicorn. There we go. Norwalk. I expect They're a book cute. in the next year. Yeah, they're cute. I'll I'll have you co-author it with me. <laughs> oh, so that that's how I get roped into this. There we go. There that's we right. go. You heard it here first. I I throw out an idea and I get roped into it. That's, that's right. That's I right. I'll write told. it. Here. I was walling told I will be writing a book now. Oh my gosh, that's right. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. So then wrapping up, what would your advice to someone starting their journey as an entrepreneur be? Well, like, where should they start? I think I believe in blooming where you're planted, right? And I also believe in using your gifts. So I think that, you know, if you have an opportunity, if you have a talent or a gift or anything, I think that that's where you begin because that's really probably where you're designed to to bloom the best. Um, And I also think that if you have a network, right, or a base of experience, give back, package it, figure out how to package it. And then use that information. That's what we're seeing in general in this whole creator economy is, you know, the whole course creation thing. We're seeing that play out. We're seeing podcasting. We're seeing all kinds of knowledge experts take their information and package. And then I think you attract where that growth needs to happen. And that's, you know, at a non-strategic level where I think I would give advice around that. Ah, ah. Well, last but not least, is there anything else that you'd like to share with listeners? I I actually would encourage um, everyone to buy their domain um, in their name, um, their children's name or whatever. But I definitely think that looking into domaining as um, something a little bit more strategically than maybe we have in the past decades because of the, the way that we are moving in this the importance of creating a digital footprint or fingerprint or however you want to categorize it. I think it's important to, to really double down on those assets. That is awesome. And so if someone has listened to this and they're like, man, I want to get in contact with Tiffany because I want to know more about Winnesium. I want to know more about uh, the unicorn dreamer book or the process in which you took, like how should they uh, get in contact with you? I think you mentioned it earlier, Tiffany.co, <laughs> T-I-F-F-A-N-E-E.co. I think I kind of pulled together a lot of the contact information there, but I do um, also have, you know, a presence on LinkedIn and um, Twitter. And on Twitter, it's TM Neighbors. TM Neighbors. Yes. TM Neighbors. Uh, Mate name? Mason. Okay. That's what I was like. <laughs> M came from somewhere. I was about to say yeah. Tiffany Michelle, but I was like, no, that's probably not it. But M, yeah. that's what it was, your maiden yep. name. Yep. I do a little homework, just a little, yeah. not too much. <laughs> not too much. Yes. Yes. Not so I appreciate that. Well, thank you, Tiffany, again, for joining us today and sharing your entrepreneurial journey. I appreciate the opportunity greatly, Alvin, and um, I just appreciate all that you're doing in the space that you're creating. And I, I look forward to continuing to follow your amazing work and everything else that's to come here. Yeah, well, definitely. I appreciate it. Okay, thank you. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in to Kickstart Commerce, where we share search marketing and domain name strategies to help grow your business. Please subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or Podbean. Last but not least, please visit kickstartcommerce.com to subscribe to the newsletter sharing tips and tricks about the disciplines of digital strategy. Thanks, and that's all for now.